Welcome to this episode of the Plant Breeding Stories podcast, where I talk to leading lights in plant breeding, asking what they do, what makes them tick, and what fascinates them about the world of plants. I'm your host, Hannah Senior of PBS International, world leaders in pollination control. We design and produce specialist pollination bags and tents used by plant breeders and seed producers all around the world. And through this, I've been privileged to get a unique perspective on how plant breeding globally affects our diets, farming systems and the environment. I'm excited to share a little of this with you as we meet some of the amazing people who make plant breeding their life's work. Series four will be the last in this podcast, and it has been the most incredible experience to dig into so many different aspects of the plant breeding world and literally the world. If you're listening to this, you're part of a community that spans the globe from Albania to Zambia, Adelaide, Australia and Ames, Iowa to Zurich. Julia Sevilla is an Associate Professor of Plant Breeding at the University of KwaZulu-Natal in South Africa. Her research and work is focused primarily around sorghum and maize, in particular using biotechnology tools to progress their variety development efforts. She's a vocal advocate for plant breeding, committed to increasing awareness of this discipline and growing networks within it, as well as encouraging young people to consider a career in plant breeding and agriculture. I hope you enjoy it. It's fantastic to have you on the podcast today, Julia. So to set the scene, could you introduce yourself and tell me a little about your role? Okay, thank you, Hannah. My name is Julia Sibia. I'm an Associate Professor of Plant Breeding at the University of KwaZulu-Natal in Peter Marisberg, South Africa. I'm also an academic leader for the production sciences cluster in the school, uh, which includes uh, disciplines of plant breeding, crop science, horticultural science, plant pathology, and uh, animal and poultry sciences. And uh, currently, I'm also the vice president of the African Plant Breeders Association. I always like to ask the question about how did you get into plant breeding and and particularly what was your background? You know, did you grow up with an interest in plants? Did your schooling lead you to this? You know, can you can you sort of set the scene for us about about your background? I was born and raised in Zimbabwe. I did my primary and secondary education there as well as my bachelor's degree. I wasn't interested in plants initially. I wanted to be a medical doctor. Uh, however, for one to get into medicine in Zimbabwe, you had to have very high points uh, during your A-level because the competition is very high and the places are limited. So I wasn't able to get in. So I settled for my third choice, which was agriculture. And uh, in agriculture, I actually wanted to focus on animals initially because I thought animals were closer to humans, to medicine that I wanted to do. So when I joined uh, the University of Zimbabwe for my bachelor's degree, the first year courses for animal science and crop science are basically the same. So this uh, helps you to switch if you need to switch, like in second year. So I switched in second year because I realized I actually wanted to work with plants. And also when we were doing some of the plant uh, courses, um, I, I, I realized that some of the techniques, the tools that we were using were actually similar to what's uh, used in medicine. 
And where did you study your master's? It wasn't Zimbabwe, was it? After I finished my first degree, I did my master's degree in the United States at uh, the Ohio State University. And there I was uh, working on plant pathology. I majored in plant virology. And again, uh, it was quite interesting because I realized that plant virology also incorporates like genetics, molecular biology, and all these biotechnology tools. Then, um, yeah, then I went back to Zim and I joined the University of Zimbabwe as a lecturer. Uh, then it was from there that I then decided to do my PhD and I opted to go to South Africa to do my PhD. And I decided to switch again to plant breeding now, uh, but still working with plant diseases and incorporating some of the biotechnology tools. And what made you choose to do your PhD in South Africa? So when I looked at uh, the curriculum that they had in South Africa at the African Center for Crop Improvement at the University of KwaZulu-Natal, I saw um, that um, they were actually training PhDs in plant breeding, but with also applications of biotechnology. So uh, having taught plant pathology or working with plant diseases, you know that one of the control measures for plant diseases is actually host resistance, which is plant breeding. So I decided, okay, I can go and do plant breeding, but still work with plant diseases and also apply biotechnology tools to my plant breeding. So that's when I then decided to apply to, to the University of KwaZulu-Natal to join them. And I was accepted also on a Rockefeller Foundation Fellowship. And this is how I ended up in South Africa uh, doing my PhD. Did you intend to go back to Zimbabwe? And if so, why did you end up staying, or how did you end up staying in South Africa? Okay, so the program at the African Center for Crop Improvement was like uh, a sandwich program where you would do two years uh, coursework uh, develop your research proposal so they equip you with all the theoretical background that you need to be able to do your research. Then you would go back to your home country to do the research. Then you have at the end three months to just complete the PhD writing up back in South Africa. So after the first two years uh, in South Africa, things were not going well in Zim. Uh, at that time as well, the environment was not uh, really good. So the director of uh, the African Center for Crop Improvement then uh, said for me and my colleague from Zimbabwe, we were not going to go back and do our research in Zimbabwe. We had to do our research in South Africa so that we wouldn't waste time uh, because at that time in Zim, there were, I mean, a lot of shortages uh, for almost everything. So he didn't want us to spend like times in queues trying to get fuel, even to get to your research uh, trials and, um, and the like. So we ended up doing our research in South Africa. When I did my research in South Africa, before I actually finished the PhD again, uh, the director uh, told me that he wanted me to join the academic staff of the African Center for Crop Improvement. So this is how I ended up again, staying in South Africa. I know you now work primarily with maize and sorghum, but I'd like to take a moment to talk about sorghum, particularly as a crop, to fill in any gaps for listeners. 
Can you give me some background information about it? So for, for, for sorghum in particular, uh, sorghum is, a, is probably the second most important cereal after maize in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. It's, it's a crop that you can also produce in the dry areas. So it's, uh, it's preferred like when maize fails. You know, maize is the staple for, for most of Africa and you find uh, people growing maize in all different environments, even environments that are not conducive for maize. So when we have droughts and the like and uh, maize fails, usually sorghum, you do manage to harvest something. So we encourage farmers to to, to adopt uh, uh, sorghum. And what are you focusing on in your sorghum research? I'm focusing on two types of sorghums. They are the ones that are called the sweet stem sorghums used for biofuels. And for sweet uh, stem sorghums, I was actually approached by a small company that is here in South Africa that uh, wanted to produce biofuels and to work with uh, some communities, contract them to produce the sorghums and then buy the sorghums from them and produce biofuels. So they wanted uh, me to do research on whether we can develop hybrids for these uh, sweet uh, stem sorghums. Uh, so they want high-yielding uh, hybrids and also to look at whether it's possible to have a dual-purpose uh, sorghum, which can produce both grain and sugar, uh, which is a bit difficult because these traits are not easy to work with. They are negatively sort of uh, correlated. So when you increase sugar, you decrease um, the grain and, and, and the like. Uh, so we are working on trying to develop a selection index that can assist us in the selection of both traits simultaneously. So where we can give an economic value to each of, uh, of the traits, uh, depending on which trait we want uh, the most. So I have students working on that. And for the hybrids, we are also trying to develop our own, um, because sorghum is a self-pollinating crop. And it has um, a little bit of uh, cross-pollination, but it's mainly self-pollinating. So uh, it's not easy to develop hybrids. So we, we are using a male sterile system. So you need different types of lines, what they call the A line, the B line, and the R line. So we are trying to develop our own A lines, which are the male sterile lines that we will use as, uh, as the females in our, in our breeding so that we can develop the hybrids. Then I also recently have another project that I am collaborating with uh, UC Davis. It's uh, focusing on enhancing productivity as well as nutritional quality of grain sorghums. So now for that, I'm focusing on the grain sorghums and trying to enhance the productivity even under drought conditions. So for this one, we, will, we are looking at uh, trying to improve iron, zinc. Then for proteins, we're looking at like lysine. And uh, we will also look at other micronutrients that may be important to improve. Now, you mentioned that one of the things you're trying to do is to bring together these two characteristics that don't seem to want to be in the same plant, the um, the high sugar content and the high grain production. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons that um, you think biotechnology might be a useful tool. I think uh, with, uh, with biotechnology, we are able to find 
the genes that control these uh, these traits uh, or the, the, the QTLs if uh, it's uh, polygenic. So if we can find these QTLs and see if we can map them and apply biotechnology tools, maybe we might be able to manipulate them, especially with the new technologies that are currently available now, the gene editing and, and the like. We might be able to edit and be able to increase both at the same time. I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, something that we, we are willing to look at and to just see if we can go around uh, this um, complicated um, correlation that is there between uh, these uh, two traits. Are there many restrictions around varieties derived using these biotechnology tools, um, like gene editing or transgenics? Is it possible to release them, for example, like in the US, or is it more tightly controlled like in much of Europe? For Zimbabwe, you can do research on transgenics or on GMOs, but they don't allow commercialization of, uh, of, of the crops. And um, they also don't allow any GMO crops into the country. For South Africa, you can do research uh, on GMOs. You can also commercialize uh, GMOs. And currently, um, I know most of the maize that uh, is being grown in South Africa is actually GM maize uh, with the BT gene. Almost all the soybean is uh, Roundup ready soybean. So it's also GM soybean. Uh, I think all the cotton as well is BT cotton that's uh, being grown in, in South Africa. So South Africa does allow. They have uh, reg um, regulations um, regarding that. And there is uh, rigorous testing of uh, the GM products that has to be done before they can be released and uh, the isolations and everything when you're doing the field trials. So they do have uh, regulations in place and they do allow and um, it's commercialized. And most of the maize-based products that we are consuming, they're actually from the GM maize. I want to move on now to talk about the relatively newly formed African Plant Breeding Association, of which you're vice president. Can you tell me a bit about it and how you see it contributing to the plant breeding scene, both domestically and regionally? The African Plant Breeders Association was actually launched recently, 2019. So we've just had uh, two meetings. The first meeting was in 2019 in Ghana, Accra. Then we just had the second meeting um, this past October 2021 in Kigali, Rwanda. We're trying to bring plant breeders in Africa together. Um, so it's a network of uh, plant breeders in Africa, but also plant breeders from other parts of, uh, of the world. The UC Davis African uh, Plant Breeding Academy was actually quite instrumental in encouraging us to, to form the African Plant Breeders Association. Uh, notably, Rita Mam and uh, Alan Van Dynes, they actually helped us a lot. So we have a lot of support from all over the world. We're working with, uh, we're working with private companies. We're working with CGIA ARA centers as well uh, in our Conferences we've had people coming from the US, from Australia, from different parts of uh, of the world, UK and and, and the like. So we we hope uh, that it will help us to form this uh, networking with other plant breeders from other regions within Africa and outside of uh, of Africa. And we also hope that through the African Plant Breeders Association, maybe 
Uh, we can also uh, jointly like write research proposals for, for funding. And uh, we can also try to lobby our governments, uh, the African Union, and, and they like to support plant breeding, agriculture uh, even more, and uh, try to you know, to influence uh, policy wherever we can and uh, also use it as a scientific platform where we can share ideas, you know, we can we can exchange ideas. We know uh, what's happening in this country, what sort of research is going on, can we collaborate and uh, that sort of thing. So we, we just hope that it will also encourage um, even the, the young ones to pursue plant breeding maybe at uh, postgraduate levels as well. You're listening to Plant Breeding Stories, brought to you by PBS International, world leaders in pollination control. We're exploring the personal stories behind people who've dedicated their careers to plant breeding, helping us to more productive plants, greater food security, and more sustainable agriculture. Now, back to the podcast. We've been talking about the African Plant Breeders Association and your role in that organisation. I wanted to know, what are your hopes for the association from a global perspective? With climate change taking place and um, all that's happening, the challenges that we face are almost similar, uh, whether you are in the UK, you are in, in America, you are in, in Africa. And so if we can network as uh, different associations, uh, we can actually help each other uh, to address some of these issues. If I can say in, in, in Africa, I have to be honest, we are lagging behind in, in, in a lot of technologies, in a lot of how we can address some of the challenges that, that we are facing. And so by connecting, uh, for example, with people from NAPB, we can do collaborative research uh, where we can assist each other um, and we can get assistance uh, from those with the inf inf infrastructure or the skills that can help to sort of address uh, the issues that we have and so help to solve uh, these uh, global issues that we are facing, which affect uh, food security and um, nutritional security as well. So I think it's it's quite beneficial, um, uh, these, uh, these, net these networkings uh, that uh, can be formed through the different associations. So one of the things that we were going to talk about, which I know you care very strongly about, is is attracting more people into agriculture in the broadest sense and then plant breeding specifically. So I'd like to talk about that. Tell me, why is that something that um, you feel strongly about and why is it, why do you think it's a problem? Just looking back at myself that I was so ignorant about agriculture in general, I didn't understand uh, what what it actually entailed. And so when you talk of agriculture, people quickly think, oh, farming, you're doing manual things and whatever and whatever. So in the end, you don't get many students coming to fields in, in, in agriculture because they are not aware agriculture is actually a science, a real science that, that you're focusing on. I, I would like to actually raise awareness uh, on the importance, one, of agriculture, especially with the challenges that we are facing, which are affecting food insecurity and uh, malnutrition, which is a reality, actually, in most African countries. And so we need to address this, and we need people 
who can address this. So if we can train more scientists who can work to address these uh, problems, then the better. Seeing that we have less students who are taking up sciences, especially agriculture, I, I, I'm really passionate about having more people come to, to agricultural uh, sciences uh, as they train at those levels master's level, PhD level, they are also able to innovate and run successful programs. And also they can effectively argue and influence policymakers. And maybe our governments can put in more money uh, into, into research um, to improve uh, these uh, this crops and improve the nutrition uh, quality of uh, most of our citizens as well. What do you, what do you think might help to make people recognize, oh, you know what, actually, this is really interesting and really important. And there's a lot of scope to have an impact. We probably need to start maybe at high school level before uh, students make up their minds on what they want to study at uh, the universities. We will also have a program where we go to the high schools, the secondary schools, especially the science faculty, and they do like some sort of science uh, shows where they demonstrate, you know, the different things that you can do in science. And unfortunately, we haven't done that much with agriculture. It's, it's something that we can start thinking about where we can let this, the, the learners know uh, what can be done in agriculture. I mean, we have the fourth industrial revolution, which has brought a lot of uh, different uh, thing, innovations that can be done in agriculture, uh, the biotechnology applications in agriculture, uh, the digitalization, the precision phenotyping and those sort of things. I think that can actually interest the youths and uh, the, the, the learners maybe to, to come into agriculture and that you can also even use your smartphone for some applications in agriculture, I think that can also help. So we, we, we just need to have maybe an uh, aggressive marketing starting in high schools. And then when they join the universities, then we can also then try to interest them maybe to then pursue postgraduate degrees uh, in, 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 in agriculture. And you've been involved with programs encouraging young people into agriculture and plant breeding before, haven't you? Can you tell me about that? I was involved with a program that was funded by AGRA, the Alliance for a Green Revolution in Africa. So we had a program called the Improved Masters in Cultivar Development for Africa, IMCDA, uh, across three African universities, um, UKZN, Makerere University, and Kwame Kurume University in, um, in, 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 in Ghana and Iowa State University. So with this program, um, what we actually did was to introduce internships in our programs. So with the internships now, the students, after one year of coursework, uh, the second year when they are doing their research, then they would spend six to 12 months attached to a private seed company or attached to a national breeding program where they would learn everything that uh, goes on at that institution. So this actually helped a lot of our students to see that, okay, when I finish, I have these options. I can actually do A, B, C, D. And a lot of them were also like sort of absorbed by those companies that they worked for. It's a program which I would want 
uh, if I had funds to, to continue with where every student that comes actually, you know, has a sort of an internship where uh, they can see what is happening out there in, uh, in industry. And then they can really appreciate that uh, whatever they are doing, it's not like they are going to end up on the farm. But the interesting thing also is one of my students who was on this program, two of my students actually, they decided to go into farming, having learned what they learned from these companies. They decided to do their own uh, thing. So it's also something that can give you, you know, ideas of uh, what you can do with, uh, with your education. That's a good point, isn't it? Because just because you study one thing doesn't mean you have to stay in that thing. It can, inf- it can give you new ideas that might take you in a different direction or new opportunities that might take you in a different direction. Yes. Okay, moving on to some sort of general questions. What things are getting you excited at the moment? What things are interesting you at the moment? In 2019, I actually spent some time at Iowa State University for my sabbatical, and I then went into gene editing. I I wanted to learn as much as I could, um, you know, to understand what is this whole thing about gene editing. And um, so, yeah, so I went through, I did a project on gene editing um, when I was there. So it's something that is really, really interested me. And I'm working also on orphan crops or underutilized uh, crops, most of which are indigenous crops. So they haven't received much uh, research but they are very valuable crops uh, in terms of nutrition um, and they have a lot of medicinal properties as well and they can be used for uh, many other different things. So for us to actually uh, have a sort of genetic gain or to commercialize this, uh, these crops, we need to research on them and be able to, to, to breed them much faster than we would have been just using conventional uh, techniques. So I'm really thinking of applying some of these uh, gene editing tools, uh, also applying some of the modern uh, uh, breeding tools like the next generation uh, sequencing t- uh, tools, uh, genotyping by sequencing, which allows you to genotype at the same time discover markers uh, so that we can also use marker-assisted selection for these uh, crops. Could you give me an example of how um, gene editing might help develop an orphan crop um, and make it more um, or change its properties in a way that's beneficial? Um, it, it might be helpful for, for listeners to sort of have a tangible example of that. There's one student who's working on a crop called Miracle Berry. It's a berry. When you eat it, it changes your palate so that when you eat something that's sour, it actually tastes sweet. This uh, plant is found in uh, West Africa, but uh, it's, it's very difficult to work with because it's sometimes very difficult to germinate the seed. So we've genotyped them and we're trying to discover if we can find markers. But with, with gene editing, I was just thinking like if we could find whatever affects the seed not to germinate immediately, uh, maybe we switch off whatever it is then maybe we can improve and then we can have more plantations of that and we have uh, more of that berry being produced. It produces uh, a protein called miraculin, which is like a natural sweetener um, that can also be used in various uh, other industries. So that's, that's one way we can apply like gene editing. 
then uh, with the with with discovering of markers, then uh, we can also uh, use markers for other for other crops to assist us in our selections. And uh, instead of going through a lot of generations uh, selecting based on the phenotype, we can uh, select based on the markers, and um, that can also quicken the process. And um, we 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 have um, products on the market much faster, and we can also produce hybrids for some of the, the crops as well and commercialize them. Another sort of overarching question, what do you think has been the hardest part of your career so far? And and why did you, you know, why would you choose that, that part of your career as the hardest? <laughs> I think the hardest part for me is been trying to balance work and family, especially if you have to compete in a male-dominated field. At work, you are expected to perform just like anyone else, irrespective of what other uh, things you have to take care of, children and, and, and the like. So that has been actually the, the, the hardest part of, uh, of my career, trying to, to, to balance and um, trying to remain competitive at work but at the same time not neglecting family, having time for family. And um, I mean, I've traveled a lot uh, because of the um, ACCI program that we had, which is a sandwich program. So we have to travel to different countries where our students are based and they're doing their research to see them. So you spend maybe a week or two weeks away and maybe every, uh, uh, every month you travel to two, three different countries. So you have to put up with uh, whatever is there. But uh, it, has, it has been quite interesting as well. On, uh, on the flip side, uh, you get to see, you know, different countries, you get to meet different people and um, yeah. But uh, trying to, to balance that has been the hardest part of my career. And then the last question, um, what opportunities do you see for the future? I actually do see a lot of opportunities, like for myself, instead of just working on the food crops and the like, I'm seeing that I can also diversify. Recently, I was approached again by someone who wanted me to work with them on breeding cannabis, which I thought, wow, that can actually be a very good opportunity, uh, which can also help us to raise funds. Uh, for research, and then we can use maybe those funds to, to to research other crops because funding is also becoming a little bit uh, difficult to come by. Then I also see more opportunities collaborating with private sector, collaborating with the CGs, collaborating with other institutes in Africa as well as overseas. I see a lot of opportunities and um some of them have already started bearing fruit. Uh, like I, I, I told you, I have this uh, project with UC Davis. So through connections with um, different associations, the NAPB, I've also made a lot of uh, contacts that I'm starting to work with. So uh, there are lots of uh, opportunities. Uh, grasping these new technologies also might help us maybe to come up with um, products much faster on the market and maybe to get in more young people uh, get interested in, um, in, in plant breeding. Yeah, they, I think there are lots of opportunities uh, in the future that um, we can take advantage of.
That feels like a good place to wrap things up. Thank you very much for your time today, Professor Julia Sevilla. Thank you, Hannah. It was really a pleasure. <laughs> You've been listening to Plant Breeding Stories by PBS International, and I'm your host, Hannah Senior. Plant breeding is a pretty specialist podcast topic, which can make it difficult for people who share our interest in this kind of thing to find it. So if you've enjoyed the podcast, recommend it to your friends and colleagues, and please help others in the plant science community to find it by rating this episode and subscribing to the series. I'd love to hear from you if you want to suggest people you'd like me to interview. You can contact me on Twitter at PBSint or on Instagram at PBS underscore Int. Until next time, stay well.